I've been wanting to talk about our church's values. Just the, the, the convictions, the guideposts that make us um, guide our ship. It helps us make decisions. It helps us to decide between multiple good things. And it helps us prioritize. And, um, but I realized that coming out of this message about the gospel of the kingdom, that we need to explore this concept of the kingdom a little more. And so we're going to do a series on kingdom culture. Kingdom culture. And what I'm trying and hoping to do is I'm also hoping to show you how we derive the values of our church because they really are an extension of kingdom culture. They might not be all encompassing kingdom culture, um, but there are some key components of kingdom culture that we, um, that we know that if we follow those, they will lead to us also honoring the rest of the kingdom's values, cultures, principles, and attitudes. And so we've identified these, um, these values, and um, we want to keep them in front of us because they help us discern God's will for us. Um, and so the kingdom of God uh, really needs to be our guiding idea, our guiding concept, not a church's organizational structures, etc. Um, but we try and make them as close as possible so that we are an expression, a local church. We are an expression of the governance of the kingdom of God. We're a small model of what the kingdom of God is holistically so that people might understand the kingdom of God better and, uh, and therefore align themselves correctly with Christ. Um, because so many people misunderstand the difference between the church and the kingdom. And when they get mad at the church, they reject God altogether. And that's just unnecessary because the kingdom of God is so much bigger than the church. It's so much bigger than the church. And uh, um, this message changed my dad's life who was an atheist and mad at the church and mad at Christians. And somebody came along that explained to him that, look, you can be mad at Christians and mad at the church and still, and still respond to the call of the king to join his kingdom. Now, when you do, naturally, he's going to help you reconcile with all these other important parts, which is the church and individual Christian Christianity. Um, but the, the primary thing needs to be in place first, and that's the understanding that I'm connecting to the king of kings, the king who is in rulership over this world, first and foremost, before I deal with how we are organized as humans within that kingdom. All right, so... Let me talk about culture for a second. The word culture, um, I just define it as the everyday existence that characterizes something. That's its culture. The everyday existence that characterizes it. Whether it's a nation, whether it's a people group, whether it's an organization, it includes the shared attitudes, goals, values, um, practices, um, and even submaterial traits. That makes up our culture. We're going to look at a kingdom culture. So what does it look like for a kingdom citizen? What does an everyday existence look like for a kingdom citizen? What are the everyday kingdom shared values, shared goals, shared priorities, shared practices, shared traits that makes up the culture of the kingdom of God? And then we're going to have a look and we're going to, we're going to combine how our church expresses that. Um, and how we, how we kind of present it to be those, those clear 
guiding posts that help guide us along God's kingdom call for our church. So let me start by reading something from 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 10 says this, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. No one can lay any other foundation for the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom of God than the one that is already laid, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation upon which the kingdom of God stands. He is the rock of our salvation. He's the firstborn and the, fir- and the model, the example of all the children of God. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The kingdom of God revolves around Jesus. And that is why we say at our Savior's Church that Jesus is our center. Jesus is our center. This is, one of the fir- this is one of the first core values, I believe, of the kingdom of God and of our church is that Jesus is the center of our lives. The everyday existence of a kingdom citizen revolves around its king's desires. The beauty of our king is the amount of freedom and self-sufficiency that he gives us, the empowerment that he blesses us with, that we are able within his kingdom to pursue many, many, many things. He only asks us that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the king. And so sometimes we misunderstand just why we have so much freedom. We have freedom because we were granted freedom. But there is a responsibility within that freedom that it should not become about us. That our freedom should very much still reflect back on His amazingness and, 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 and glorify, glorifying Him. So when we look at our everyday existence... Like we just spoke about, um, me and Monica, about how difficult it is that the first week getting into some new routine, uh, or it be at work, or be at school, or, and so <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like you feel like an extra bit of energy was just sapped out of you just because you woke up earlier. <laughs> but that's what our everyday existence is about. It's not about the 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 glory moments. It's not about the well-intended, well-planned moments of benevolence or goodness that we went about you know, doing as a project or a moment or an instance or an event. No, everyday existence is about getting up in the morning. What's your routine like? What do you do first? For most of us older people, it's going to the loo, right? <laughs> Okay, then after that, what do you do next after that? All right. 
coffee, right? Because we've got to get this engine filled for the day, right? <laughs> That's everyday life. It's not the fancy stuff. It's the normal stuff. The kingdom of God is saying, look, it's your everyday existence that makes up your culture. It's the mundane things that make up your culture. It's the things you do without even thinking that make up your culture. So let me ask the question here today. What is your culture like? And is your culture glorifying God? Does your culture lead you into connecting with God on a daily basis? Do you have a daily pattern of connecting with God in worship, in Bible reading, and prayer? Do you even talk with Him? Or do you just kind of coast through with all other things except the connection with the King? But let me say something here to draw your attention. When we don't have a desire to read God's word every day, it's because we're being filled by something else. Be it work, fiction, you know, stories, news, social media, sometimes just, you know, gossip, social interaction, just constantly texting, constantly texting friends and, and everybody and anybody that will listen. I'm being filled by something else if I don't have an internal desire. Remember, Christianity doesn't want to put you in a place where it tells you what you should do. You should be doing this. And tries to guilt trip you into doing it. Now, really what Christianity does is it allows the Holy Spirit to enter into my heart of hearts and changes my desires so that I desire to do the things that God would like me to do. So I as an individual Christian and an individual citizen of the kingdom need to understand that when I don't have a desire to obey God, that there's, there's intrinsically something missing in my experience of the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, the true existence is that of want to obey, not have to obey. And ultimately I know we have to obey, but the beauty of the difference between the old covenant that God had with man and the new covenant that we stepped into through our faith in Jesus Christ is that life, <laughs> it's a life and death difference. In, in the old covenant, our spirit man was still dead in, in complete rebellion against God. In the new covenant, our spirit man is made alive and in complete unity with Christ. And it's from living in that spirit, from living from that spirit, from living from that union with Christ that I realize, man, you know what? It pleases my insides. If I do the things of God, it brings me joy. It brings me peace. It makes me fired up. However, when I do the contrary, I feel 
like trash. So tell me, which one is the true you? The one where you're constantly disappointed in yourself? Or the one where you're feeling the ought to? Well, I really ought to be doing this, but you know what? I just don't want to. Well, man, I really want to go and do that, but you know what? I can because I'm a Christian. What a miserable existence to live in. That is not what Jesus planned for us when he called us to follow him. You think it was a burden for Jesus to do the works of his father? No, he did it with absolute joy and peace. He lived the culture of the kingdom, which we've spoken about before. You know, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about the regulations, the do's and the don'ts, the things that you ought to and should do. No, no, no. It's about living life in absolute joy and peace and right thinking because I've been made right with God in the inside of my heart. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Jesus lived out of that rightness with God, that unity with God that led to complete peace and joy. Did you see Jesus ever feeling rushed to something? <laughs> no. He was like completely calm and collected. I, I, sometimes I feel like, man, I wished I had that revelation because there are sometimes things that just makes me feel so rushed and so out of peace. But I think one thing that we've come to realize at the very least is that, hey, I really want to do the things that God in his word reveals to me. I really want, because I'm starting to think according to my true nature. I've been made holy. I've been made righteous. And as a righteous person, I desire first and foremost to obey God. Secondly, I desire to see others obey God and find God. These are natural desires of a person that's been born again, of a person whose spirit has been made alive. If you do not experience that, you have to ask yourself, am I just doing religion or have I actually stepped into a relationship with God? Because it's a fundamental change that takes place on the inside of your heart. If we don't have a desire to do what God wants us to do. Now I know we, don't, we sometimes have construed desires. We have that desire, but we also still desire this one. That's just growth. That's just learning how to live from your new identity. That does not mean that you don't have a new identity. Okay? If you have a desire to want to please God and... and, and then most probably 99% of the time, you are in fact born again and you have that true desire residing on the inside of you. If you feel horribly bad when you sin, then most probably you have a new nature on the inside of you that feels very disappointed at this thing that you just did right now. But it's learning to respond more and more regularly and consistently to this new desire that God has placed on the inside of my heart. That leads us to wanting to connect with Him, to wanting to glorify Him, worship Him, bow our knee to Him, follow and obey Him, and then rule with Him, have authority with Him to change our surroundings. All of that comes from a want 
go-to position, not a if you don't, then you will be punished. Or if you don't do this, you're not going to get what God has for you in eternity. We have to make that distinction so clearly in our hearts because so many Christians still suffer under this misconception that if I don't, then God will not. God made a covenant with himself that says, I made a covenant with myself because there's no higher authority to whom I can be accountable, so I had to be accountable to myself. But let this be known. If I violate my word, I violate my integrity, so I cannot violate my word. And by God, if you have put your faith in me, I will save you. Not because you perform correctly, but because you are my child, because you've put your faith in me. All right, sorry. So, but sometimes we reason, well, I'm doing fine without reading the Bible every day. I've been there. Been there. Walked strong. Walked good. Not reading my Bible every day. Not connecting with God every day. Not having a desire to really spend time in His presence and get closeness with Him and connection with Him. And you say, well, this must not be true for me because I, I really get by fine without doing this. May I submit something to you today? If we don't have that desire, may it be that we do not have the same goal for our lives as God has for it. That we have settled for something that is short of what God had planned for us. Because if you had the same goal as what God has for you, the need to get into the scriptures would be so acute. It would draw you every day to go and eat from the bread of life so that you have that fresh bread, that fresh revelation, that fresh power that is residing on the inside of you, that fresh faith that makes you act according to what he is leading you and takes the opportunities that he presents before you in this life. Could it be that the reason why we shy away from interaction with people about Christianity that we did not spend time with the King of Kings that morning? Could it be that it's just purely because our faith isn't stirred enough, that our passion for His kingdom isn't stirred enough through our close connection, hearing His heart about the people that we work with, that we fail year after year to even reveal to them that we are Christians? Could it be that we've settled for something less than what God had intended for us. For us to make everyday progress toward that ideal that God in Christ had determined for each and every one of us to walk in, we need fresh connection and revelation of His truth for us every day. I was there before. I had settled with just, you know, living life the way I lived it and, and, and just being acceptance of the fruit that I was able to produce at that time. But somewhere in my life, I started realizing there's more and there's always more. And it reconnected me to that desire to want to see what that more is. May I just appeal to us. Do not settle for anything less than what Jesus Christ had died and rose for. Kingdom culture, don't settle for anything less than what Jesus had died and rose for. Do we even know what all he died and rose for? 
Do we even have perspective enough to realize that it's way more than what we're experiencing right now here in our lives on earth? There's always more. Which leads to, I believe, a second, I'm not saying the second in value or best, but a second value in the kingdom of God, which is growth. Becoming like Christ. Becoming like Jesus. First, it's Jesus is the center. Our lives revolve around Him. But guess what? Whatever you're revolving yourself around, you become like. We become what we behold. We become what we're interacting with the whole time. Makes us think about how, where do we spend our 90% time. And with what and with whom we spend our 90% time. We've spoken before during the, um, the book of James about, um, this is not in James, but the, the concept of bad character, of b b b bad company that corrupts good character, and how that affects our speech. Because we start mimicking what we surround ourselves with. We start saying the same things. Like if you hang around teenagers soon, you start talking like them. No cap. And you spill tea everywhere you go. <laughs> and they ask you for the receipts and you and you know and you gotta you gotta you gotta produce. You become what you surround yourself with. And so when we center our lives around Jesus and his kingdom, his purposes, we become like him. It's the second value of the kingdom, becoming like Christ, growing. Here at OSC we say growth is our pursuit. Everything must grow from, the, from the, the smallest individual child. The babies that are in the room next here, that are being prayed over, that are being blessed, that are sitting under the anointing of God, listening to worship music, their spirit man being influenced before they're even cognizant of it yet. To the oldest person here, I don't know who that is, I won't point you out, but you have breath, that means you must still grow. And if I must grow, and she must grow, and we must grow, then it means that this must grow. So when an appeal is made for growth, we don't go, oh, what's that about? You know, when's it ever going to be enough? Until the last person is saved? Then it'll be enough. Last week we said there's not a square inch on this world and of this world, of which Jesus do not cry out, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. He wants to be in every single place in your life. Jesus desires to have influence and governance in every area of our lives, which means that we're going to have to continue to grow and continue to let him into more and more and more spaces in our heart. And even in those spaces where brokenness, hurt, disappointment exists, I'm no fool. I know the church is imperfect and I know they ma she makes mistakes. And I know she hurts people and disappoints people. But guess what? God is calling you to grow beyond that instance, that thing. But it requires you to open up. Growth 
is a value in the kingdom of God because the kingdom culture wants to see everything move progressively toward reflecting more and more and more the character and the nature of Christ and his kingdom here on earth. So Paul, again, writes to the Philippians about this pursuit of growth. In Philippians 3, I'm going to read a bunch of them, only a couple of them reflect, but I want you to see the, I want you to see the, the passion and the, the sold-outness of Paul to grow, to continue on the journey, to not stagnate, to not settle where I am at. Verse 8, he starts by saying, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Right before this, he had spoken about all his accolades and all his achievements in the religious system, the Jewish faith that he was in. He spoke about the height of his uh, performance and, 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 and the, 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 the position that he f- fulfilled. He spoke about just all of that. And yet then he finds something that just surpasses all of what he had accomplished in his life outside of Christ. And he calls it like it is here. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's what happened. When Paul said yes to Jesus, he got fired. He got stripped of his degrees. They revoked his license. Does that make sense now? What happened to him? It wasn't religious things that happened to him. It was actual real-life employment things that happened to him. He suddenly had no job. Makes it become real all of a sudden, right? And yet he says, I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. May it be that we have such a sold-out desire to gain all of Christ that we do not let the world manipulate us into settling for anything less than what he had died and rose for through threats or through fear or whatever mechanism they may try to employ to get us maybe peer pressure, maybe you know being shunned, being ghosted. Let there be no threat that keeps us from pursuing everything that Christ had for us. Then Paul writes further, he says, I would want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We spoke about that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Somebody said this, success, failure is never fatal, but success should never be final. We should always put aside our successes, no matter what place, position, or um, uh, uh, we, 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 we achieve or reach, we should be saying, that aside, I want to press on for all that the kingdom of God, culture has for me. I strain forward to what lie ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. See, if you have a different goal than the upward call of God in Christ, in other words, to progressively become more and more and more like Jesus, you will settle and your desire to connect will disappear and you will stop growing. Let me take you through a portion of scripture that is just incredible. And by the way, let me just say something about verse 10 of Philippians 3. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. It's amazing how in that little verse there, this, by the way, this is my all-time favorite verse in the Bible. And, and, I, and I don't say that about every verse like some preachers do. Like, you know, this is my all-time favorite verse, and then it's like the seventh all-time favorite verse. No, this is the one that I love the most. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It talks about me being born again. I have experienced his life resurrecting me and making me a child of God. Have you experienced that absolute grace? Have you experienced that connection where this is no longer about a religion, this is no longer about observing patterns and performing, but have connected with your Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced being born again? I desire every single person to experience that because you know when you've experienced that. You know when you're a child of God. John 1.12 says, For all who believed, He has given the right to be called children of God. Did you believe? then God gives you the right to call yourself a child of God. Forgiven, set free, accepted, and welcomed in heaven. Not a pseudo heaven through which you have to go through in order to get to the real heaven. No, the real heaven. The presence of Almighty God. Straight up. You have that right. The, the share in His sufferings. When Jesus walked the earth, he experienced incredible limitations. This does not just refer to the death on the cross. This referred to every single thing that he long suffered with mankind for, about. That, that he was patient with us in. That he called us and we disappointed him. Every little thing that he tries to get out of us even now so that we might Receive the beauty. I always say this. God wants more from us because he wants more for us. 
I would like to join that suffering in seeing other people being willing to offer more of themselves to God in order that they might receive the beauty and the awesomeness of the fullness of God. And if it means that I have to physically suffer for it, I've had a fair share of that, but not to the point of having to bleed or, or you know, being, being hurt. But if that means what it means, then that is what I will go and do in order for more people to discover the beauty of this relationship with Jesus. That is what the suffering of Christ referred to. It's Him coming here so that we might know God. Which we have been called, my wife and I, we're here because we've been called to go into all the world and make disciples. I want to join that journey of suffering because from it there will be many souls added to the kingdom how about you have you heard him call you to join in this mission that might include suffering but there's such beauty in this suffering because people are saved and set free And listen to the last part of it, becoming like him in his death. All I can say is that through his death, he became the firstborn of many children. That I might become a child first and foremost, but second, through his death, he started sprouting up billions and millions more children and if God through my little life and the death that I die to myself and to my perp- to my own desires let other seeds of salvation sprout forth in other people's lives then that is exactly what I want do you have that desire to see through your life other people get saved Let's take a breath real quick and consider that type of life and the beauty that there is in it. If you have a Bible and you want to go to John 15 with me, I want to talk about a progression of growth that I believe if we are centered around Jesus Christ, God is inviting us into. God is calling us into. John 15, Jesus is calling on his disciples to abide in him. Because the kingdom of God is not a religion. It's the relationship with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. I believe this portion of scripture helps us to see how do we abide in that relationship with him that it leads to the call of God, the responsibility of expanding this kingdom. I believe that the result of abiding in Christ is growth that is revealed through our fruit. The result of abiding in Christ is growth that is revealed through our fruit. So let's go ahead and read John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So that's two very successful people right there. 
Okay, I'm just, I'm just calling it out in the beginning. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Very successful uh, producers of whatever fruit is growing on this vine. And a very strong vine, would you agree? Right, this is a solid vine, right? This vine ain't going nowhere. This vine survived death, not escaped it, like died, and then took back his life, this vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's the vine dresser. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Already you are clean because of what, the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Each of us should have this mindset, this attitude to pursue growth so that we can bear fruit. Jesus is so serious about us bearing fruit that he even prunes the branches that does bear fruit so that they will bear more fruit. God is serious about your growth, and we should be too. But here, as if interrupting himself mid-metaphor, he says something that, I mean, he's talking about vines and a vine dresser, and there's just this picture. And then in verse 3, it's like he speaks of a completely different language. He's like he's interrupting himself. He says this. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Just in case we want to make the mistake of thinking that our fruit is going to save us. He's literally interrupting himself. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not talking about you being cleansed of your sins here. No, no, no. This is something different. This is after. You're already clean. By the word, the gospel of the kingdom that presents Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you'll believe in him and you'll be saved and cleansed, you're clean by that word already. So don't go into any form of performance or any form of guilt for where you are at in your production of fruit. No, this is an encouragement. This is an this is a, a instruction. It's a direction. This is how you grow. From being born again. But the very next verse, he goes back to fruit. <laughs> it's like, look guys, I am serious about this fruit thing. You're saved. You're with me. You're mine. I love you. That's, nothing's going to change that. But I want you to grow. I need you to grow. And what he's almost saying is like, if indeed you have accepted this word that cleansed you, it will lead to more. If you stay in that word, if you abide in that place. I think the point here is that growth is implicitly expected of those who are abiding in Christ. And those who don't grow are implicitly suspected of not abiding in Christ. So let me ask you something here today. If Jesus is the vine and I'm the branch, does it really matter what season of life or circumstance I'm in? 
Like, I mean, I've at times felt like, oh, you know what, it's just, things are just a little rough right now, you know. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a minute and I'm going to, you know, take care of me. I don't have to grow right now, you know. I'm going to just, I'm going to just chill, just be for a little bit here. And then, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, we grow further and further and further away from this pursuit of abiding and connecting with our loving, embracing, empowering Father. And it leads us often to becoming almost estranged of Him. And definitely it leads to us dropping fruit and not producing fruit. If we're honest and if we're serious, the problem is not with the season of life that we're in. Because this, this is a strong vine, y'all. This vine doesn't wither in the winter. This vine doesn't wither in challenging times. This vine doesn't wither when it's financially tight. This vine doesn't wither when you've been disappointed, when there has been heartache, when you've, something was broken in your life. This vine does not wither. It is not affected by nothing, y'all. If this vine is not affected and the vine dresser cannot be affected, if I'm a branch, It doesn't matter what season I'm in, as long as I am connected, I can still grow. Doesn't that remind you of a psalm? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the seat of scorners and, 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 and tarry in the counsel of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree who is planted by the rivers of water, who bears fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. I'll appeal to us here today. Disconnect from this world's reality that are, or the, in the, and our outward circumstances that dominate our minds and take captive our growth. Tells us you can't do this right now because of X, Y, and Z. I appeal to you. You have to make a conscious decision to disconnect from that reality. It is not our greatest reality as kingdom citizens. The kingdom of God is my greater reality. From where I receive all the encouragement I need, all the healing I need, all the energy I need, all the grace I need, all the forgiveness I need, all the power I need, all the hope I need, all the faith I need to keep on thriving no matter what's going on around me. I can stay in righteousness, peace, and joy no matter what's going on around me until I disconnect from God's reality. I allow this reality to dominate my mind. So here's what we do. We start compromising. We don't connect regularly. 
because things are going well. It's easy going. Enough money, relationships are fine, work is good. And I shift my connection, my abiding, to start connecting to my environment. Things are well, why? Because the money is good, the relationships are good, workplace is good, um, family is good. But what I don't realize is because I'm not abiding in the vine, I've actually disconnected. And I am just literally thriving because there's no challenges. But what happens when you get fired? All of a sudden, your life falls apart. What happens when a relationship challenge pops up? When somebody does something that you didn't expect they would do, all of a sudden your whole existence comes to a, a point of destruction. Why? Because then you realize, oh my goodness, I am not connected in the vine. Don't allow yourself the, the undiscipline of depending on your circumstances for your well-being because circumstances are fickle. In an instant, it changes. But if you were abiding, if you were in the vine, when that moment hit, you just draw, you just drew faith from the vine. It's going, all right, God's got this. And you can say that with conviction because you're connected and you've been eating from the bread of life every single day. Don't settle for a goal or an image of you that is less than what God had planned for you. And you can only get there if you continue to pursue the growth. Living stable despite our circumstances. It's like, I want to talk about three levels of growth in the last 10 minutes. I'm going to go through it quick. This is the first level of growth that God wants us to get to. Stable existence in his kingdom, despite what's going on around us. Living out of thanksgiving and living out of the grace of, of God Understanding primarily who my, what, who my new identity is. You see, God in this season prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. This is a more fruit season. He wants us to grow in this stability. And what he's challenging and pruning in us is our old identity. He's trying to get rid of how you used to measure yourself and see yourself. So that you can start seeing yourself as the child of God that you are. So that you can start seeing how strong and established on the foundation of Jesus Christ you are. And if you abide, that you can be stable. You don't have to allow circumstances and things around you that shift or seasons of life that you go through to stop you growing and producing more fruit. That is the birthright of every single Christian. Don't settle for less than that. You can walk powerfully stable through life. But that's not even the pinnacle of growth. He wants us to get this down so that we can move on to the things that he's purposing for us to walk into. So in this first kind of like this, when, when, when we're new Christians and we, we, or, or, or when we're um, 
let's just call spiritual children, you know, we, we, we might have struggles with repeat sins and repeat weaknesses. And, and, um, but what God is wanting us to learn is that not to allow condemnation for those things to prevent us from recovery and growing further. It's the, it's the basic Christianity. You don't have to feel condemned anymore because of your sins. That gives you stability. It gives you grace from which you can move forward. God primarily wants to instill the identity of sonship in your heart opposed to that of slavery, where you have to work for your keep. Newborn babies walk and fall the whole time. We don't scorn them for it. It's almost endearing. <laughs> oh, well done. Let's do it again. Right? When a, a person becomes born again, that is what happens. They're a newborn baby. And they have to learn afresh how to walk in the Spirit. It doesn't happen automatically. It's a learning curve. And they need an environment of grace and encouragement that says, come on, you can do it. You got this. No, don't worry about that. Get up and try again. Don't go into a self-condemnation frill about the fact that you are five. You're five. This happens to children when they're five. You know? It's okay. Just get up and go more. Continue the journey because you will grow. It's such a freeing experience. But when a 17-year-old when a starts doing the, the clumsy, foolish things that a 5-year-old is doing, we're like, whoa, 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 hold on now. This is not so funny anymore. Slightly concerning, to be honest. Let's have a conversation about here. God is calling us upward in growth. If you're still struggling with the same repeat sin and you've been a Christian for 10 years, hold on now. Something's missing. You were supposed to have broken the power of that thing over your life years ago and walk in power and victory over it years ago. So where are you at in your journey of growth in Christ? And remember, it doesn't matter through what phase of growth you go through. The first phase is truth, stay intact. There's still no condemnation, even though you're a 17-year-old. It's not going to change anything about my love for you. You're my child. I love you. That comes without saying. You get the love. Absolutely. No questions asked. But your behavior might cause me to not trust you with the keys to my vehicle. Even though you're probably able, I don't know if I can trust you. Because your behavior is saying, I can't. So when God is calling us to grow, it's not about heaven or hell. It's about how much of the kingdom of God can he entrust you with in this life? How much can he empower you? How much can he trust you to carry with you 
of him. And he wants to give us more, but with more freedoms, with, with more power comes more responsibility. With more authority comes more responsibility. And so he wants you to grow so that you're able to carry that. Are you going to be his child until the day that you pass and go to heaven? Absolutely. As long as your faith remains intact, absolutely. Are you going to probably reach some of the things that he desired you to do? Probably no. Because you wouldn't train. You wouldn't discipline yourself. You wouldn't abide in the vine enough so that it would start producing fruit. Verse 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, it is that bears much fruit. There's a progression here. God wants us to bear more fruit. But if we continue to abide in him, and if we continue to grow, our fruit starts increasing and we start producing much fruit. A greater variety of fruit. Fruit in a greater diversity of areas of our life our work life starts producing fruit for christ our social life our our, um, um, our spiritual life produces work for him every part of our life starts producing much fruit if anyone does not abide in me um he's thrown away like a branch withers um i'm focusing on verse seven if you abide in me my words abide in you you ask whatever you wish will be done for you you grow in closeness with god intimacy with God you can ask him things more boldly than you have before and you see your prayers answered and it starts affecting people around you this is the next phase of growth God wants this wants our Christianity to extend from us to our world around us in influence that we start showing to people there's a better way to live there's a better way to do conflict. There's a better way to do uh, 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 disappointment, offenses. There's a better way to do relationship. There's a better way to do our work. There's a better way to do my work at my, my job, my, at my company. We start realizing that, hey, we really do need Him for everything. Our abiding becomes consistent. And we draw from that enough faith and power so that every single day we're unashamed of the gospel. We're being examples of what it means to be a Christian in, in our lives, in every part of our lives. And those areas start recognizing the difference between what it is when you're a, child, a man of God, a woman of God, and, with, and, and when you're not. Our integrity, our ethics are improved. Everything is influenced by our faith and it has an impact around us. God wants that impact and influence for every single one of us. His goals become my goals. His transforming work uh, transforms my life, but it transforms the lives of those, uh, the, the places around me as well. I'm being bold in my faith and my witness. I'm no longer ashamed of being recognized and, 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 and uh, uh, known as a Christian. My prayers start to affect my surroundings and God's word in my heart comes out of my mouth. It grows my faith for everything that he wants me to do. I start seeing hope for my environment and I declare that hope and start seeing change come. My faith is moving beyond me. It's moving into my world. And the last part is when John 15 verse 8, it says this, By this my Father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit. When I said earlier, he gives us incredible freedoms, but he asks one thing, do everything you do as if you're doing it unto me. Do everything you do to glorify me. Our fruit glorifies him. They come into a place where obeying his commandments is an act of love, not an act of um, compulsion. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We do it because we love doing it. We realize obedience is not about gaining God's love. It's more about gaining his trust to give us more, trust us with more. God tests us in this phase, you know, by informing us of his commands. God wants us to grow, so he lets us know the things that he wants us to do, and he, and he sees if we have faith enough and if we have love enough to start walking in those things that he wants us to grow into. When we fail, he continues the journey with no condemnation, but a continuous encouragement, a continuous reach out, reach you and where you're at, helping you with whatever you need to heal from and grow through so that you might step into this place. The last verse, um, part of this growth phase, I believe, is when we become mature in our faith. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The word there for abide is the same word he used in the beginning of chapter 15 when he said, you abide in the vine. This is not a fruit of character or a fruit of influence. No, this is a fruit of people. The only thing that's going to abide with us is souls that are saved. The only thing that we take with us into eternity is souls saved. Y'all, God is calling each and every one of us to live our lives in abiding into Him to the point where it results in people's lives getting saved around us. God has called every one of us to save lives. You know, the Bible says that there are many teachers and yet we do not have many fathers. The difference between a teacher and a father is that only one produces sons. Listen to Paul again in Corinthians 4.14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For those you have, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Here's how I became, here's how I became your father. I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul is saying that fruit that will abide is produced through the gospel, being shared with people who do not believe. There is just no way around this. God is calling every single Christian, every citizen of the kingdom to be an ambassador for Him, to represent Him and to tell the story of God's grace work to those who do not believe. If you're not there yet, know it's okay. But God is calling you. God is encouraging you through today 
to start saying yes to growth again. To say yes to centering your life around Jesus again. And abiding again so that that goal might be reached in you and through you. This is what Jesus did. This is what his disciples did. They put Jesus in the center of their existence, their everyday existence, and they pursued growth. Let me say this again. The kingdom culture doesn't settle for anything less than what Christ died and rose for. And I'm trusting God that our church will adopt that culture in its fullness, that we will be models of kingdom culture here. So what does that mean for you, for where you are today? I don't know. You have to figure out what is your next step of growth that you need to start settling it toward. Not settling it, pursuing toward, moving toward. But know this, that there is growth required. And there's the invitation for it is intimacy. It's connection. So start connecting with God about these things. Start asking Him to start growing you. It's a dangerous prayer, but if you start praying it, He'll start you off on a journey that you would look back on thinking, how did I ever get here? But that's just the incredible amazingness of God. He can do all things to those who believe, for those who believe and keep pursuing Him. Let's all stand together and pray. Lord, we hear loud and clear the call to growth. Lord, we see the, we see the, um, the goal that we might have settled for something less in our experience or understanding of Christianity. I thought that You know, and it's okay for me to just have a private Christianity. Not realizing what your scripture is calling us. Not realizing that we are called to become like Christ. Father, help us to to change perspective here. 